Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a history podcast where I attempt to try it, where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. Who is usually distracted watching the cats do stupid <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like run away from a paper bag. He got the bag stuck to his foot when he tried to run away and that's uh, what caused okay. him to freak out so much. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so. What's up? Mika is the host now. Mika is the host <laughs> now. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. I don't have a lot that I feel like I need to say. Um, this is your one shot. I know, but I haven't really like been in the, like I'm not in the mood, you know? Yeah. I'm just not in the mood to say a lot of things. <laughs> um, I did just think of something that, I love a lot and is very topical. <laughs> um, the nurse page that I follow on Instagram, I absolutely love it. It makes Which me one? laugh the all Lego the time. The Lego one or the? No, the Lego one was great. I think that's Brickology with like uh, an underscore on either side. Ooh, that one was funny. Um, but no, it's like the most popular oh. nursing meme page. It's yeah. Nurse Life RN. I had to like think about that because <laughs> I never say it out loud. But I don't know. It's It's been really great to just laugh about some of the things that nurses go through. And obviously some of the humor is not everyone's sense of humor. And you're not going to understand a lot of it if you're not in the medical field. And if you're in the medical field, you probably already know about it. But the guy who runs at EB has been really, really cool and really um, present in the last week. Um and I feel like I've learned a lot from the things that he's shared and the um, voices that he's amplified. And it's just been a really cool thing to learn from him, I guess. Um, and I'm not sure when he's going to go back to posting like more nursing content, but I know that he still is going to have the highlights of um, some of the things that have gone on in the past week and some of the conversations. Um He's going to have that on his Instagram page, so it's worth checking out. He's very intelligent and very funny and very personable dude. Cool. Worth a follow. Yeah. And then if you don't get any of the jokes, you can unfollow. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, is that all you, all your Mika plugs? is no longer the host <laughs> now. <laughs> Mika is no longer the host. Okay. So now we're going to get into music history. I'm very excited. But first... Follow our social media accounts, primarily Twitter, because that's where we are. Well, I am for sure the most active. <laughs> I like the occasional tweet <laughs> of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore and facebook.com slash soundofhistory. But basically all we post on there is like episode announcements. So subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform so you don't have to worry about seeing social post announcements. Why not subscribe? Yeah. Why not? Doesn't hurt nothing. Makes <laughs> us happy. Leave us reviews and stuff too. Comments. Let us know what you don't like so we can fix it Un or ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> fix it. Probably. Well, I mean, if they don't like it, I'm like, well, too bad. We like it. Then we're probably <laughs> still going to do it. <laughs> Tell me if you can hear me. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be better about that in the last two <laughs> to three. Okay, so I figured out that I can just hold the microphone instead of <laughs> trying to just put my face by the microphone stand. <laughs> I don't stay still. <laughs> well, last week, 
we talked about crooning, like early crooning and where it came from. And hey. well, well, I guess not last week. The week before last week, we talked about early crooning. Last and week all we that. took a break because the yeah. world was falling apart. Yes. And it was important for other people to be heard instead of us. Still important for other people to be well, heard. Yeah. So do you want to give us a little bit of a recap of what crooning is in your um, own words? It's been a while. So. <laughs> uh, two weeks. I mean, we went. We went like a month in between episodes before recording them, didn't, didn't we? I don't know. Now I anticipate you asking me what we talked about. So <laughs> maybe I pay attention a little bit better, like That's subconsciously. Good. I don't know. Um, crooning is like the one guy singing and it's not belting. It's more of like a, I don't know <laughs> what the opposite of of belt ink would be because it's also not like a head voice i don't know but it's a little bit softer and more romantic <laughs> <laughs> and you say that it's more baritone or more like yeah you said baritone i said baritone actually you did we both said baritone it's more baritone yeah early crooning was more higher pitched later crooning kind of shifted it down couple notches yeah like, eh. like bing crosby and stuff he, it doesn't it doesn't strike me as like well i haven't listened to well like remember <laughs> al jolson he was a pretty high pitched yeah for most of his career until yeah, he, he had part good. of his lung removed and then he notched down a little bit but as one would do but like those earlier guys who maybe like pre-crooning they were more high pitched because you know it was belting it out and it's easier to belt yeah. it so it wasn't until like mid crooning that it kind of went to the lower levels. Anyway, yeah. So crooning is normally defined as like low, smooth male vocal of a love song. It's sweet, gentle, and vulnerable. Oh, <laughs> that's what us ladies like. There were a few people who started to pioneer the crooning genre in like roughly the 1920s, but it started to hit its stride. At least the crooning that we're most familiar with today in like the 30s and the 40s. That's when it started to explode. Today, we're going to talk about one of the first teen idol pop stars in America. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. And he was one of the original crooners. We're talking about Rudy Valley. <gasps> so excited. In a lot of ways, he is like the first in the prototype of the pop star. So we're going to learn about how that happened. So excited. I love me. I love me a pop star, dude. I love me. I love <laughs> me the boy bands. I, lo I love it. <laughs> love it a lot. <laughs> so Hubert Pryor Valley. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he was never going to be a, a heartthrob with that name. <laughs> he was born on July 28th, 1901 in Island Pond, Vermont. His parents were born in Vermont, but his but his grandparents were immigrants. His father's family was French-Canadian from Quebec, and his mother's family was Irish. Rudy's first instrument was a drum that he got at the age of four, and he would bang on it a lot to ease the pain of earaches that plagued him as a child. What? I don't know how it eased it, but apparently what? it did. <laughs> Weird. Yep. As he or he was just mad that yeah. his ear hurt as a child and just so he banged on, on a drum <laughs> to make other people's ears hurt too. 
As he grew up, he kept playing the drums, but he also learned how to play the piano and the clarinet. He got his start in show business by working in a movie theater, probably around 1915, but no one's like exactly sure. Doesn't really matter. He worked as an usher, a janitor, and a hand crank operator. Hmm? He cranked the movie projector while it played because it was I like on a reel, so you that. had to like wind it up so it would play, or just you know, did, whatever. So keep did cranking. he set the pace of the movie, or like did he just have to make sure it was powered and then it like unwound on its own? I'm not sure. I think he set the pace of the movie, but I mean, I think it's like that's a lot of power. there's a standard pace that it goes i think that's how it works that's a lot of power i don't know if someone invented like a wind up like a wind up clock or whatever that you just wound it up and then it played i don't know can you imagine watching a movie and it's like in this really serious part and then all of a sudden it just goes faster and everyone's voices get higher <laughs> and then oh well i guess it didn't have voices then did it no never mind that's less power <laughs> yeah all those movies are fast anyway all this time, he was playing drums in high school bands around the New England area. In 1917, he enlisted for the Army for World War I, but was discharged when authorities discovered he was only 15 years old. That's what these little babies trying to uh, get into the armies. It's just the sentiment at the time. It's Go cool fight for your do. country and, you know, get out of school. I guess the other guy and was, like, running from his abusive parents. Yeah. He had enlisted under a false birthday. So, but when he was discharged, he had served for 41 days total. <laughs> <laughs> In the late 1910s or early 1920s, somewhere around there, I couldn't find the exact date, but I know you don't care about dates. No, I don't. <laughs> At all. I don't even know what you said. <laughs> he attended the University of Maine and later went to Yale. This was where he first started playing the instrument that he is most known for, the saxophone. He idolized a saxophonist named Rudy Weedoft. Weidoft. I, I don't know. I know where he got the yeah. name. <laughs> tisk tisk. And that Rudy had a very ragtime influenced style of playing. Valley would play his records over and over, so the other students started calling him Rudy because of how often he was playing this guy's records. That's adorable, yeah. actually. So from then on, he was known as Rudy Valley after his saxophone idol. That's adorable. Yeah. Big it's, fan. It's better that he didn't name himself that. Like he didn't just steal the name. It's better that other people called him that. Yeah. In order to pay his tuition, Rudy started to perform with dance bands in Boston and New York. At Yale, he formed a band called the Yale Collegians. Collegians? Yale Collegians? Like people in college? Yeah, I guess. I don't know how to say that. It's a weird <laughs> word. I'm guessing collegians. That started to play a lot in the New England area. It was with the Yale Collegians that Rudy would make his singing debut. Before this, he only played drums and saxophone for the bands, but they had a show at the Hi-Ho Club in New York City. The where? The Hi-Ho Club. Hi-Ho? Yeah. Off to work we go? Yes. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> for some reason that wasn't documented, they didn't have a singer, and Rudy didn't want to lose the engagement, so he so he volunteered to sing using a megaphone. This is literally like a teen heartthrob movie <laughs> of the first pop star. Yeah, basically. He didn't even want to sing. It was thrust upon him. Oh, my goodness. The drama. Never say never. You just got the show must go on. <laughs> for the rest of his career, the megaphone became pretty much synonymous with him. He used it for almost every performance since this was before microphones were super good. 
So like you rarely saw Rudy without his megaphone. Like it was just his thing. It was his instrument. This original singing performance at the Hi-Ho Club was also a super early example of crooning. Long before Sinatra or Bing Crosby was doing it, Rudy was doing it at the Hi-Ho Club. Let's carry on. It was a natural, untrained, soft style of singing. Probably because he was nervous and not used to singing, so it makes sense that it came out kind of like soft and gentle and quiet. He wasn't Al Jolson belting it to the rafters. He was a nervous kid singing for the first time in front of people. That makes them all the more adorable. (laughs) Even though it became his trademark, megaphones were not uncommon among singers at this time. A lot of them used megaphones because mics weren't great. After graduating from Yale in 1927 with a degree in philosophy, Rudy started his own eight-piece band called Rudy Valley and the Connecticut Yankees. With this band, I don't know where is Yale in Connecticut. I don't know. I, g- I guess I it has to be. I don't know where things are. For him to let's look it up real quick. We have computers in front of us. You have computers in front of you. You have two computers. I have none computers. This one's kind of in front of you too. Yeah, it's in New Haven, Connecticut. Okay, well then that makes sense why he's the. Now Connecticut we all Yankees. know where Yale was. Did you know where Yale was? <laughs> no, you probably did not. Yeah, probably did. Uh, is that common knowledge? I don't know. I feel like. Maybe not common, but more people probably know it. Whatever. Not important. <laughs> so That's going to be my takeaway is where can where <laughs> Yale is. You're going to ask me, what did we talk about last week? I'm where be Yale like, is. Yale is in Connecticut. You wouldn't be wrong. We did talk about that. So Rudy Valley and his Connecticut Yankees started. Uh, that was when Rudy became the primary singer of a band for the first time. So with this band, he was a primary singer, but it also featured a banjo, a piano, two violins, two saxophones, and a drum. That's a weird combination. It is. I don't know what banjo's doing in there, honestly. The band was hired to play at the Hi-Ho Club in New York, the same place he sang for the first time. And they kind of like had a little bit of a residency there. They were just like a lot of the big bands were doing during the 20s. Rudy's voice was a nasally tenor and was somewhat wavering. He was way more at home singing sweeter ballads than the loud brass jazz standards of the day. So, like a crooner. Wow. <laughs> it's like it's it's like it's like what we're talking about. Due partly to Rudy's boyish good looks and suave manner, the band started to gain quite a bit of traction, especially with young women. Rudy was given a recording contract, and his shows from the Hi-Ho Club started to be broadcasted on radio in 1928. The radio show was an immediate success, and Rudy's typical greeting, Hi-Ho, everybody, became his trademark. That's how he would start the shows. That's really cute. Here is one of his recordings from that time. Is he going to say the thing? Based around his signature greeting. Hi-Ho, everybody. This is Rudy Valley. so enthusiastic about it. Hi-Ho. Recording of That's our radio greeting. Hi ho, everybody. Hi ho. Hi ho. My name is Mika. I'll be your nurse today. I think it's just the entrance to the show or something. I don't know. Yeah, we get to hear her singing. But we have another song coming up that we do get to hear her singing. That's okay. I think I got all I need. 
first thing in the morning. Everyone's so tired walking to the break room. Hi, hello, everybody. Okay, so that was that was an example of his signature greeting. Hi, ho, everybody. During this time in 1929, Rudy and his band released a song called Deep Night. His vocal style on that song would later go on to inspire Bing Crosby, Russ Columbo, and the other people more typically associated with the birth of crooning. So, you know, if he's doing it first, then maybe he's the originator. I don't know who this lady is in the video. She's very pretty. Eventually he'll start singing. Some of the inspiration for a lot of the top crooners of the day. In 1929, Rudy and his band were hired for a one-hour radio special to advertise Fleischmann's Yeast. Fleischmann's Yeast? Fleischmann's Yeast? Oh. Yeast. Yep, the yeast company. For an hour. Yep. Well, it Kay. was just like, it's just a one-hour show sponsored by Paid Fleischmann's Yeast. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think Bing did one for, like, a cigar company or something. That makes like, sense, though. Yeah. But it's just... I guess they they know their target audience. Yeah. Like... He's singing to all the pretty, pretty young sure ladies. All the pretty young y- ladies baking the bread. Pretty much, like, no one... I don't know. It's just, like, it had nothing to do with yeast other than at the beginning. It's probably br- brought to you by Fleischmann's yeast or whatever. So it became known as the Fleischmann Hour and would later evolve into the first radio variety show. And Interesting. He was, he was one of the first to invite African Americans onto a show. Like Get it, dude. Like Louis Armstrong and others. Rudy, during this time, became the first teen pop star. Flappers would follow him everywhere, Wait, mobbing was him. was he a teen, or he was like the, the, the heartthrob of the teens? Yeah, that's what a teen pop star is. He's a pop star for teens. At least that's, that's what how I think, I it think of it. I don't know. When I think of teen idol, I think of like an idol for teens. I don't think of a teenager who is. I don't know. Normally, the idol for teens is also very young. So I, I guess I mean that's he's younger during this time too. Probably when in his twenties. You're a child actor. You don't think of an actor for a child. You think of a child that <laughs> is an actor. 
I mean, I guess, but that's not what we're talking about. Okay, okay, but he's teen heartthrob. Yeah. Flappers would follow him everywhere. They would, like, mob him, and his shows were almost always completely sold out. Wow, like the Jonas Brothers. Yep. The megaphone became a trademark of his because he couldn't be heard over his screaming fans in venues without microphones or amplification. (laughs) So he had to use something. In the few short years since he started playing the club in New York, his reputation had exploded. So much so that he felt compelled to write a biography at 28 years old. That's adorable. (laughs) One magazine writer said about him in 1929, quote, At the microphone, he is truly a romantic figure. Faultlessly attired in evening dress, he pours softly into the radio's delicate ear a stream of mellifluous melody. Wow. He appears to be coaxing, pleading, and at the same time adoring the invisible one to whom his song is attuned. Oh, goodness. (laughs) She was into him. Another fan magazine called Radio Review asked for letters explaining Valley's success. I guess they didn't quite get it. (laughs) What? I don't know. The same as like the shows around here asking people to call in and explain why the new hot young star is popular. I've never heard of that. (laughs) And this letter was the winner. Quote, Rudy Valley is reaping the harvest of a seed that is seldom sown this day and age. Love. The good-looking little son of a gun really and honestly loves his audience and his art. He loves to please listeners, loves it more than he does his name in the big lights his or his mug in the papers. He loved all those unseen women as passionately as a voice can love, oh, long wow. before they began to purr and to caress him with two-cent stamps. Oh, wow. <laughs> Keep, please keep reading. That's it. That was the end of the Darn, letter. I was ready to listen to much more of that. <laughs> Guys, away with words. Son of a gun. <laughs> the good looking little son of a gun. <laughs> Does that remind you of anyone? No. Ajax. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rudy's earliest recording contract, signed in 1928, was for Columbia Records. The next year, he signed with Victor and stayed with them until a heated argument in 1931. Through all of this, he was churning out just like hit after hit. What was the heated argument about? I don't know. I don't remember. I want the tea. I want like the teen heartthrob I don't think it was that. Probably just about money. That's what they always are. Yeah, but then all the gossip magazines can twist it into something more. Yeah. One of his biggest hits during this time was a 1929 recording of the Stein song which was the University of Maine's school song. Like beer? I think so. Or maybe not. And it not. was the school song? <laughs> yeah, that's what makes me think. Maybe not, but... It was the unofficial song? <laughs> no, I think it was... Because it's called the Maine Stein song. Oh. I mean it very... I, I like that. Good little school song. Better than the Blue Raiders or whatever. I don't even know what ours is. Go Raiders, go. Oh, yeah. 
Atkins make the list sometimes. See, I don't even know. adorable. It's just like Justin Bieber, right? Yep. Alright, that's the Stein song. That was adorable. During all of his recording success, his radio show was just on fire. Unlike other radio stars of the time, Rudy wasn't just singing songs. He acted as like a sort of master of ceremonies during the show. In the early 30s, it turned into a variety show where Rudy would host established, famous acts, and unknown talent hoping to give them a platform. Unfortunately, he was sometimes wrong and famous famously said that Barbara Streisand had no talent. <laughs> Never underestimate Barbara Streisand. In 1937, he took a break from radio and demanded that Louis Armstrong substitute for him, which was the first time an African-American hosted a nationally syndicated radio show. So his show was, I kind of, I think of his show as like a predecessor to like The Late Show Mm -hmm. and The Tonight Show, Mm -hmm. because it's just like a whole bunch of different people come on and do talents and he just kind of like, he's the Jimmy Fallon of his day. It's very fun. Yeah. Man, all of the girls just their daydreams were <laughs> about being discovered on this yep. show and him falling in love with them. Yep. Didn't work out for Barbara Streisand. That no talent person. <laughs> yep. She's she's just the worst. So this radio show was one of the top five shows throughout nineteen twenty nine through nineteen thirty five. It lost out on the top spot to Amos and Andy in nineteen thirty one. But other than, other than that, I think it was the top show for all of those years. So close. The show was responsible for launching the careers of many future successful entertainers, like Milton Berle. But not Barbara Streisand. No. Like Milton Berle, the Mills Brothers, but and Kate Smith. Not Barbara Streisand. <laughs> not Barbara Streisand. It even featured the first radio performance from a ventriloquist. What? Though I'm not sure how that would work. Because <laughs> it's a radio no, show. No, believe me, I'm not moving my <laughs> lips at all. It's I the just puppet talking. I saw that. I was like, I have to put this in, but I have no idea what, what that would be. <laughs> Rudy's just in the background, like, oh, trust me, you can't see his lips moving at all. No, I swear, it's not even him. It's the puppet all the whole time. It's the, it's the puppet talking. I know they sound the same, but they're not. So Rudy, uh, the show came to an official end in 1939, but Rudy would continue on with other radio shows after that one. But none of them were quite as successful. In 1930, Rudy, Rudy made his first foray into the movies. At this point, a lot of radio companies had the same ownership as movie studios, so the stars of radio and recordings were like bouncing back and forth between the two. And musicals were all the rage. So it made sense to follow in Al Jolson's steps and make the jump from radio to film. Unfortunately, Rudy's first film, I'm Just a Vagabond Lover, Oh, my God. In 1929 (laughs) was a massive flop. (laughs) How? I can't imagine. (laughs) Rudy said, quote, when I saw the premiere, I thought I was ruined for life. (laughs) So apparently it was just a horrible movie. I'm a vagabond lover? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a vagabond lover. 
I'm honestly like it doesn't matter how bad it is. I'm really surprised that it didn't like do yeah, super well because exactly. of his massive fan base. Like a lot of Bing Crosby's first movies aren't the best, but they were successful because it had Bing in it. So like I'm surprised this one wasn't. But I mean it was 1929, so this was kind of like the start of his fame. So maybe it didn't translate. I don't know. But regardless, he wasn't ruined for life. Through the 30s and into the 40s, he would go on to star in quite a few more movies that were pretty much all successful. With a successful radio show, a movie star, and legions of adoring female fans, Rudy was on the top of the entertainment world. He appeared in several films throughout the 30s and became known for his excellent comedic timing. His first performance was somewhat wooden, but it improved drastically before he hit a stride in the 40s. So he was just kind of learning how to be an actor. It's adorable. The war interrupted Rudy's career like it did everyone else's. Rudy joined the Coast Guard and was named band leader of the 11th Naval District Coast Guard Band. <laughs> Sounds important. Yep. They primarily played war bond rallies and stuff like that in California. So he really wasn't ever in any like danger or anything. I mean, he wasn't going off to war. Uh, but I guess you could say he served his time in the armed forces. Yeah, he uh, he had that. 40 days early on <laughs> in his career so he, he put in the That's time true. he enlisted as a petty officer and his goal was just to like help the leader of the band uh, but he was eventually promoted to lieutenant and had sole control over the band after they kind of realized this guy knows what he's doing with this whole music thing <laughs> he led the 40 piece band to pretty great success over the next couple of years in 1944, he was placed on the inactive list and returned to radio and movies. But he is technically a veteran because he was in the Coast Guard. And the Army. <laughs> I don't think you that keep counts. keep forgetting about that. Like, they can't say he was an official because he was 15. So they can't say he was officially a soldier. At the end of the 40s, he would feature in a few more films and had his last hit recording with the song As Time Goes By that was featured in Casablanca. He recorded the song 15 years earlier, but Casablanca made it a hit again. You want to hear As Time Goes By? Of course I want to hear As Time Goes By. Okay. You get to Son see a, a young guy. Rudy. The picture of this one is of a young a Rudy. So. Oh, I lied. The picture is of this girl again. Who is this girl? The fundamental thing it's really cool to hear the difference the in like the control in his voice yeah, like from the new stuff and the old stuff. On that can rely. No matter what the future brings as time goes by. And love songs never out of date Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate Woman needs man and man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die 
That's as time goes by. I liked it. So through his later years, Rudy kept working, performing in a few Broadway shows, featuring in a couple films, and performing music well into the 1970s. That's pretty cool. Yeah. In the 70s, he tried to get his street name changed. He tried to get like the street name of where he lived changed, which made a lot of people angry at him. Why? I don't I think cuz he wanted to change it to like his name. And I guess the people were like, "No, that's stupid." The poor boy just wants a street. So Rudy called them, quote, "a bunch of disgruntled pukes." <laughs> and said, "They're all complaining because they are jealous." Canceled. <laughs> he had a little bit more success during this time as one of the stars of the Broadway show How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Mm. He reprised his role for the film and then toured it for a bit. He also toured college campuses a lot during this time. Which seems like he's a little out of his age demographic at that point, but whatever. <laughs> at the end of the 70s, he started to slow down a bit. He had a theater in his home converted into basically a Rudy Valley Museum. He claimed that he never threw anything away, so he had shelves and shelves of Rudy Valley memorabilia saved up that he just kind of like let people come see. Rudy was outspoken and not afraid to speak his mind, especially in his older age. In 1981, he spoke about the new popular music of the time. How are you feeling about this so far? You think he's going to be very supportive of it? Um, you know, based on based on patterns, I'm going to say <laughs> he thinks it's crap and probably really vulgar and and um ruining minds. So in 1981, he said, "Quote, the popular songs that were written in the 1920s and 30s, 40s and early 50s, it's a really long way to that's say the 20s and the 50s. That's a lot of time, too, though. Yes. Like, he's good with a lot of music, yeah. but now... That were written in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and early 50s were written by veterans. Not the late 50s. No, just the early. Mostly men who'd had experience in life. How can you write a lyric if you haven't really lived life? What? The kids of today have taken over the music business, most of them very young. Simply because they write and jot down a few notes, they have the idea that they can write songs. Composers now just don't have the depth of inspiration for melody. Most of the lyrics of the pop songs you hear today are repetitious. They're almost nursery rhymes as if written by children, which they are. He was a child. <laughs> kind of ironic considering how young he was when he got started. <laughs> uh, how easily people yeah. forget. Rudy was also notoriously a hothead. An NBC announcer who worked with him said that he, quote, had quite a temper and a very foul mouth. Almost always the butt of his nastiness was the orchestra. His outbursts were mean-spirited, and he didn't care who overheard, end quote. Das woo. <laughs> Apparently, rehearsals were a nightmare with him, since he took them so seriously and was not afraid to explode on anyone who happened to mess anything up. Which sounds a little bit like a theme. Like, we've... A lot of people have been like that. These people start out as children and then think that they're the <laughs> shit. And then, like, just want to just destroy everyone else's life for not being good enough. Like, dude, have like, some grace. Who else? Like, Benny Goodman was like that. I think uh, the military march king. Mm. What was his name? <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> John Philip Sousa. 
But he that's was, just like how he wasn't mean spirited about it, but he was very he like yeah. He expected perfection in his rehearsals. There's a difference between that and then just being berating people. That's a way nicer way of putting it than how I was going to put it. But that's just like a person thing. Like there is no grace ever anymore. Everyone just f- needs to have a little bit more grace for people who are learning. Yeah. I also feel like it's a little unfair to be super mad at people for messing up in rehearsal because that's what rehearsal is for. Like you're supposed to like be like, okay, I messed that up. So now I know next time to for do real. it this way. I don't know. It just feels like completely against the spirit of rehearsal to yes. get mad at people for being they're messing with whatever yes it makes no point it makes no sense in getting mad at people yes. who are trying to learn like that's not how people learn that's not how they get excited and passionate it's yeah. how you make a robot <laughs> and that robot's gonna destroy everything <laughs> and then you had louie who was just like yeah, we're just having fun out here. <laughs> Louis Armstrong was the best. That's so. That's. I would the love to be learn. in Louis' band. I get. I get very passionate about this. Actually, <laughs> I'm gonna have to take a <laughs> a breather because I. I just. I hate it. I hate it. The world <laughs> needs more grace. It does. Let people be. Be so encouraging. Rudy Valley's first wife said about him, "Quote." Valley is possessed is possessed of a violent, vicious, and ungovernable temper. Oh God! And given to the use of blasphemy, and the use of intemperate, vile, and oh boy, vituperative language. I've never heard that word before. This poor woman. Vituperative language, particularly when applied to me. End quote. <laughs> she also accused him accused him of infidelity with at least three women. Granted, these accusations came during court proceedings for their divorce, so not exactly an impartial source. The judge found uh, Valley not guilty, but again, that's not saying all that much. That was a crime then? I don't know if it was... I mean, I guess if it was so not what? guilty... So what? Are they just crime, not going to let her get divorced? Like No, I think it, she was probably like suing him for stuff based on oh. this stuff. And if he was found not guilty of that stuff, then she can't have his money. Valley was also known for his habit of ending arguments and fist fights. See, just <laughs> the evidence is not stacking up in his favor. So, like, I just, ooh, ooh, ooh. I am being triggered. <laughs> 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 this had, is ooh. He had a famous fist fight with a producer of one of his movies in the 30s. In an interview, Valley claimed that he found fighting savage and stupid. But then when he, he but then when he was asked why he got into fights, he said, quote, I just lost my temper. I'll admit I have a too quick temper. <laughs> Rudy loved the state of Maine and maintained an estate near a lake there for most of his life. He was also fiercely loyal to Yale University and the University of Maine. He was also very hospitable and caring toward his family and friends. Except for his wife. Yeah. (laughs) At least his first wife. Rudy died of cancer in 1986 at his home, watching the centennial centennial ceremonies of the restored Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Pretty good way to go, I guess. Yeah. According to his wife, his last words were, quote, I wish we could be there. You know how I love a party. (laughs) (laughs) And then he died. (laughs) I mean, that could have also just been, like, a myth, but, you know, she could have been just, like, 
that might not have been his last words. It might have been like a marshal in How I Met Your Mother where his dad calls him and says, I love you, and then says something else about like, uh-huh. yeah, might have been like that. Was it about sandwiches? Sandwich shop? I don't something know. Like that? Or like borrow an umbrella from the Koreans next door. They always have them or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> something mildly racist. All right. Well, that was Rudy Valley. And it kind of on a sour note, not going to lie, but I like do. I like the idea of him dying wanting to go to a party. Because <laughs> that's kind of like how I structure it. I go through their career, just kind of fact based. And then at the end, I kind of touch on their personal. character yeah. and, and just you like know, a little bit of a personal a person. life. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to shy away from people's flaws because everyone is a person and every person has flaws. And I think that is part of your story is your flaws and how you work to overcome them or didn't so that's why did I like he work about to overcome them i don't know sounds like he was at least aware yeah oh no <laughs> well cool okay yeah well that was the first pop star in american history you know i like it in a lot of ways, he set the prototype for future crooners and future pop stars. So since he was, like, performing so, like, late into his career, do mm-hmm. you know if he ever did, like, a collaboration with any other crooners? I'm assuming he did. Especially, like, I know I keep mentioning Bing Crosby, but it's because I read a biography, so he's the one yeah. I know the most about. Right. But he had a habit of, like, seeking out his influences. And if Rudy Valley really was one of his influences, he probably was on his radio show at some point. That's cool. Probably the same with Frank Sinatra, because Sinatra had a radio show too, so he probably brought him on. Because like Al Jolson was a huge inspiration for Bing, and Bing had him on his radio show a bunch because of that. So yeah. it was probably the same way, but I don't know okay. for sure. That would be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Rudy Valley, And with that, we are officially out of jazz and jazz-adjacent stuff. I don't believe you. I mean, for the time being, because <laughs> we're going to get back into crooners. But looking forward to that. Next week, we talk about folk music. Cool. Which I feel like you know even less about than jazz. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know less about it. I know a little bit about jazz. Talk about folk, and then we're talking about country. Oh. I mean, that's the good stuff, because then we get into a thing called race records. <laughs> and that's going to be... But the race records episode gave me an excuse to talk about Mamie Smith, which is cool, because she was one I wanted to talk about during the blues and didn't get a chance to, because I wanted to talk about Robert Johnson instead. Right. So now I get to talk about Mamie Smith, which is going to be fun. Awesome. I like Mamie Smith. Can't wait to hear more about (laughs) All right. We don't have a correction corner. No one has told us anything we did wrong, which means we have been completely perfect in everything. Yeah. Go team. (laughs) Okay. You are perfect and I say things. <laughs> so join us next week and you get to learn about folk music. A drastic change from the jazz we've talked about for two months. Yippee. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Moonlight and love songs never out of date. Hearts full of passion, jealousy, and hate. Woman eats man and man must have his mate. That no one can deny It's still the same old story